Isn't it good to be together as the church? It's good to be together. You know, there's so many obstacles. There's so many things trying to just divide in every single avenue of life. Every facet of life right now is trying to be divided. I mean, everything. It's, it's between families. It's between colors. It's between city to city. I mean, in nation to nation, there is a, a force that like I've never experienced, and, and I'm younger, but even the older that are still alive in this world today are, are expressing the same thing. They've never seen it like this before. And we must choose, and we must pray. You can't even fully choose, because in your heart, it's wicked, and in our hearts, you know, we don't even know our hearts. We have to pray for God to work on our hearts. But we have to join with His Word and really, really plead that we would not be part of the chaos and the division. It's easy to get sucked into that. And so, and the enemy is trying to break the church up during this time. We were held uh, outside of the building for a long time, but thank God, across this nation, we have not lost our freedom. I'm not even, I don't even want to go down the road to a lot of conspiracies about freedoms and, and losing freedoms, but thank God the churches across America are open. You know, we don't have to be open. We need to realize that, that that's a big deal. The churches, the movie theaters are not open. Movie theaters right here. They're losing billions of dollars across this nation, and the churches are open. We need to realize that. We have freedom in this nation. God has given us a supernatural. We open before other things, right? There's no baseball, unless you want to watch it on TV, right? There's no football, hockey, soccer, basketball, none of those things. But churches are open. We need to realize that God has been faithful to us. Amen? And so the devil's going to try to divide up, and, and uh, he's angry that churches were allowed to open across the nation. I mean, every state, 50 states, churches were allowed to open. Yes, there's things we don't like about it, but they're open. And the devil's angry, so he's going to try to stir it up and bring division into this very last thing of our Christian faith, the church. We are the church. The people are the church, right? It's not the buildings. It's the people. But he's going to really try right now to break that thing down. Amen. We need to really focus on the Lord right now and focus on his faithfulness and focus on the fact that he, uh, in this nation, has still allowed us, right? I mean, allowed a freedom that some nations don't have. It's illegal, right, in, in, in most of the Middle East to be a Christian. In fact, your, own, your whole life, Right? Your physical life is at danger, not just losing you know, your name or, or losing property, but your physical life is in, is in danger. And we need to actually be serious about this, serious about what we have in the Lord right now. The devil's going to try to attack it. Is that making sense to anyone? And just, just in your own personal time, and as we're gathering together, I need us to realize as the church right now that is, this is 911. I can't express it enough. I haven't really been going on about it. I've been kind of just, you know, tiptoeing around it and we're trying to move forward, but it's 911. We're literally on the, the cusp of 911 as it is, the anniversary. And it's a reminder, right, that our walls are not impenetrable, but God's grace is still there, right? God's grace is still over this nation. But there was a moment 
where it broke through our, our borders, right, and caused a change. I mean, we've changed. We've changed as a nation. It wasn't just a day. It changed many things. It, it caused a ripple effect, and I'm not going to get into that today, but uh, it's a reminder of the seriousness of the times. It's 911 right now to seek the Lord and to pray and, uh, and to plead with God for mercy. The enemy has a plan to destroy us, but God has a plan for this nation as well. As I was praying and, and, and just talking with the Lord this week, I, we know this. We know that there are plans right now, I'm talking present tense, that the devil is, is doing with actual people. It's not just the devil behind the scenes. There are people that are lined up with him and that love him, and we don't focus on him, but there are people that are working things and plans out right now. We know that. We don't major on that in this church, but we know that. Amen. Is everybody aware that those things are happening? And partly the Lord knew it. I mean, he knows it because he's God, but he knew it uh, 2,000 years ago and had John write it down. I mean, so we can't be surprised by those things, right? John wrote down that the devil was going to cause nations to rise against nations and, and, and all kinds of crazy chaos, right, in the book of Revelation, Meanwhile, the Lord just, bam, just dropped it in my heart. It's something I know, but just reminded me of this. He said, Satan was in the garden with Eve. And I just thought, wow, right there. See, right there. Adam and Eve were given life. They were given everything. Even our mind, right? They say we use less than 10% of our mind. I mean, Adam and Eve had their full mind. Can you imagine? Right? Can you imagine? There are some people that have had diseases where actually it activated more of their mind, right? That's, this has happened in present tense. And they're able to understand things. They even say, like, they even, science doesn't really know, but science is just kind of scratching the surface on the autistic mind, and, and, and they, they translate the world a little bit differently, but they say they're using more of their mind. That's why, they, I mean, they can just look at something and have instant memory. They can memorize and understand numbers and equations, et cetera, right? And they're just using a little bit more of their brain than we are. Imagine. Anyway, right there in that perfection, just picture that perfection. The devil was right there. He's always had a plan. And then the Lord just took me. I just was praying, and I wasn't asking for this. The Lord just showed me Satan there. And then I just saw the settlers coming across the oceans to the USA. It wasn't the USA yet. It was just a foreign land. And don't think that the devil wasn't on those ships as well. There were many men and women on those ships with plans for gold and to come and just prosper here. Had no intention of religious freedom or worship. And don't think that when we built this nation, and, and George Washington, I don't care what anybody says, I believe that man was a man of prayer and a man of God. I'm tired of history trying to rewrite itself. I grew up knowing that this guy was a man of God who got on his knees and pleaded with God, and a nation was birthed. Anyway, I'm going to get into that rant. But don't think that there wasn't a group of people that were not on their knees and that they were with, joined with Satan intentionally or unintentionally to create their own agendas and their own nation. Don't be surprised. We need to understand something here. This has been his plan from the beginning, right in the garden. And yet, so now the Lord rewinds it to me, rewinds the whole story. Okay, so he, he showed me. I just was praying, and I just saw this story unfolding. The devil's been 
with us since the garden. And yet, we have our Bible. We have the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, right? The pastors today moving and teaching freely. We have a preservation. We have more word than you can possibly imagine. We have commentaries. We have commentaries on commentaries on commentaries. And then videos on those. Besides the fact that even though the devil was in the garden with Adam and Eve, Jesus was already in the works. It was already being planned out. We need to understand something. I don't know what's going to happen in the natural. There were many men and women who passed away in the natural to even bring the birth of this nation. I don't understand all that. I don't want to think about that, really, right? We don't want to think about that except to just be who we are. I mentioned this some weeks ago, and I kind of want to mention, talk about this today, that we are who we are. Let's just say it out loud. We are who we are. God has placed us here on purpose in this time. We could have been born at any time. You know, science tries to tell you that you are by chance. You are some random accident, which is a crock. <laughs> that is ridiculous. God not only created you on purpose, but he could have placed you in any time in history, and you were chosen to be right here. I mentioned some weeks ago, some of you may have even tried to leave town, go somewhere else in the world, or you were somewhere else in the world, and for some reason you are here in this valley. You are who you are, and you can fight it. See, Jonah fought God. And, and, and God doesn't make you be who you are. He doesn't make you. He didn't even, you know, he didn't even make Jonah in the end. Jonah realized that the circumstances were pressing enough. God has a way to press us, doesn't he? But he didn't make them. Jonah still made the decision. He didn't like his environment because of his sin and because of running from God, right? Ultimately, though, God still didn't make him. God doesn't make us do anything. He doesn't make us. But he implies it pretty strongly in our lives of who I want you to be. And if we'll submit to it, there's actually a voice. There's a, there's a word. There's something inside you that is for a people. Amen. So we need to understand something that right now, even if it costs our physical lives, I don't know. I just know that we need to be the people that God has called us to be in this hour. Imagine if Washington soldiers were just like, you know, I don't, I don't want to die, which I know they didn't, like we're going to say, but because of that, I'm not willing to fight. Instead, they said, I don't want to die, but I, I have to do what I need to do. This is the time I live in. This is where God has placed me, and I need to be who I'm called to be. I think we've forgotten that. History has kind of forgotten that. We've become so normalized. We've been so removed from those things that we forget that our lives are not our own. Our lives are not our own. I want you to say that out loud so you hear it. My life is not my own. Thank God we have eternity to look forward to, don't we? This is just a temporary existence. This is just temporary. This is just temporary. And the thing is, if we don't stand up and be who God's called us to be, 
When I read my word and when I look at history, the devil has won many battles. He's going to lose the war. He's going to lose, isn't he? But every time that he loses the battles, he wins battles and he loses battles throughout history and throughout my word. I mean, right up till present time, right? There's, uh, I bring it up a lot because I think it was, you know, we call him the greatest generation, World War II, where, you know, we left here in our safety and our peace here. Finally, we did have, you know, Hawaii hit, but for the most part, America was untouched and we went over to Europe, right? All the way over, far, all the way over to the east, right? To fight this war because we saw that this thing, even though it's, it, you know, we, we have to, it's physical, we have to separate right now the physical and the spiritual. The devil was obviously, <laughs> we're looking, man, the devil was using Hitler and using Stalin and using those agendas, right? Using it to try to control the world, to bring about a one world government. I mean, that's literally, that's, I mean, it's not conspiracy, it's not, it's history. That's what they wanted. Germany wanted to rule the entire world. And yet there was a people that rose up and they laid down their lives and we have freedom here today because of it. We must not forget that. I don't want to make this about war and I don't want to make this about politics and I don't want to make this about what nations live and what nations die. This is about us as believers and I'm using that as, as the example to remind us that if we don't give our lives right now fully to the Lord and fully for whatever that cause is, I don't even, it's still unfolding. This is the strangest times in our lives, but it's unfolding. And if we don't fully commit and fully submit to the Lord right now, a generation or generations will be gone. We must right now become serious about this and we must give our lives. You know, we've given our lives to him uh, for salvation, but I think sometimes we don't realize what we did when we gave him our lives at salvation. When you got saved, what the world has forgotten, much of maybe the Western world, maybe like the Middle East still gets it and China still gets it, but, but what we don't realize is sometimes is that you said to God, I've lived my life so far, not, I want you to come in and let's just see what you can do with it. Why don't you try to make something of it? No, that's not what happened. I've lived it so far. I'm going to get on the cross and die 2,000 years ago, future past, because we're spirit, we're not flesh, right? Right here in 2020, I'll get on the cross 2,000 years ago with you. My life is there now. And the life that continues to live after this moment is not mine anymore. That's what happened at your salvation. That's true salvation. That's the word of God. I'm not saying that's salvation theology, salvation teaching, but that's salvation from the word of God. We did lay down our lives and we are no longer alive. Now my life is 100% fully submitted to the Father. Because the Bible tells me that Jesus, that's how he lived. And the Bible also tells me it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So then how is this person right here with Jesus in me going to live? The way that Jesus did. Completely submitted to the Father with no motives, no intentions, no plans, 
no purpose, no dreams, except the ones that the Lord puts in me and, and unfolds day by day, moment by moment, person by person. Amen. We read something. If you've been reading with us, I want to just go here for the next couple minutes. Um, if you've been reading with us, and uh, I've been doing this now. This is the third week. I'm actually going to pull from our group reading. I didn't, um, that's happened before, but I haven't made that a habit. But I thought it was interesting that this third time in a row really felt like as I was just reading with us, like we've been doing, sometimes we've just been doing the daily readings together, and that's great, and then the Lord gives me something different for the sermon, but something struck me again for the third week in a row from our readings, and it's about David again. Last week we looked at him, right, not carrying the ark properly. I want you to look with me at the book of First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles 29 Verse 1, I'm just going to do a quick reading. I'm just going to read right down through 15, 1 through 15, okay? We're just going to read the verses, and then I'll just talk about this for a few minutes. It says, Then King David turned to the entire assembly and said, My son Solomon, whom God has clearly chosen as the next king of Israel, is still young and inexperienced. The work ahead of him is enormous, for the temple he will build is not for mere mortals, it is for the Lord God himself. So I'm going to just read, but just quickly, I want you to note David the father. That's the generation that's living right now. God gave him a mandate. There's another generation coming, that's Solomon. And he, David recognizes the generation living now that the job that Solomon's going to have to do is big. It's a big job that this next generation's got to do. So the generation now living, that's us. He says, the work ahead of him is enormous. And then verse 2, it says... So, using every resource at my command, I have gathered as much as I could for building the temple of my God. David gathered as much as he could, even though he wasn't going to build it. You know, we read in the Word, and there's other guys that were like, thank you, Lord, that, it's, that judgment's not going to strike in my time. I'm like, what? How can you say that, and how can God be okay with that? God's like, I'm going to judge you, but not to your children, not to your grandchildren. I'd be like, Lord, no, judge me. Don't judge them. They're like, thank you, Lord. Thanks for that. At least I'll be at peace. David has a heart after God, doesn't he? David is the picture of Christ in the Old Testament, right? He is the heart of God. And the heart of God is to pave the way for the next generation. Jesus paved the way for the disciples. They paved the way for us. Don't forget, your job is to pave the way for someone else. You are not here for yourself. Everything you have, because I, I mean, I hope I, I hope I get into it, but I don't want to run out of time. Everything you have is because God's given it to you. And you reap the benefits. The more you give, the more God gives back to you. He gives to you. You give of yourself, and he gives to you. But let's just keep reading here, as I promised. Okay, I can't help it. I start preaching right away. I just want to read it. I can't help but preach it. So he gathers all these things. And a great quantities, verse 3, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. I just read this this week, and man, this thing, this just struck me. Because he had had the ability as a king and a blessed king and God's power over him to really uh, gather. It's unbelievable uh, between David and Solomon how... Uh, wealthy this kingdom was, if you really study it out. But David had his own personal uh, wealth, and it says, 
um, he says, because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. This is in addition to the building materials I've already collected for his temple. I am donating more than 112 tons. That's for all you people who don't know it. I think everybody does, but let's just say it out loud because it's unbelievable. It's 112 times 2,000 pounds. 112 times 2,000 of gold. Okay, and uh, I think gold per pound right now is, uh, what's it, $120,000, something like that. Let's see, 2,000, uh, $32,000 a pound times 2,000 times 112. You could do the math. We're talking billions of dollars. And he's like, oh, I just decided to just give all of my billions because I realized that my life, what is my life? I mean, my life's just, I'm going to be, my life is here for a moment. It's a glimpse. It's a vapor. And he says, so I've decided to give this all to the building of the temple, and this is addition, and I'm donating 112 and then 260 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings, and for the other gold and silver work to be done by the craftsmen. Now then, who will follow my example and give offerings to the Lord today? Then the family leaders, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and captains of the army, and the king's administrative uh, officers all gave willingly for the construction of the temple of God. And they gave about 188 tons of gold, 10,000 gold coins, 375 tons of silver, 675 tons of bronze, 3750 tons of iron. And they also contributed numerous precious stones, which were deposited in the treasury of the house of the Lord under the care of Jehiel, a descendant of Gershon. And the people rejoiced over the offerings, for they had given freely. Everybody say they had given freely. And wholeheartedly, everybody say, and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And King David was filled with joy. Then David praised the Lord, verse 10. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. Let's just say that out loud. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours. I think that's a key here that we need to remember. Everything is yours. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone. So wealth comes from God. What you have came from him because everything is his. Everybody say, everything is his. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion, people are made great and given strength. 
See, David recognized that God had blessed him, that God had raised him up, and David lived a good life for the season he was here, for the time that he had. He lived well, but he recognized a principle that we must recognize, which is that everything I have, all my power, all my authority, all my wealth, everything I have is yours because it's at your discretion to give me what I have. That means that it doesn't matter how smart I was and how fast I was and how sharp I was and how good I was at running and sneaking and hiding and, and working my way to the top. I worked my way up the military corporate ladder right up to the top, and then they made me king. I'm so good. Look at me. I'm David. I mean, that's what the world would say. He recognizes that everything he has and everything he is is from the Lord and came from him, and he is not his own. And this is amazing right here. This is what I really want us to get today. This is what it says. It sums it up. He sums all that up with this. He says, Oh, God, oh, our God, we thank you and praise you. Praise your glorious name. Who am I? Verse 14. Everybody say, Who am I? And who is this people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. <laughs> I don't know, guys. This just hit me so much. This is, you know... I don't know, many of, some of you in here have grown up in the church, some of you haven't, so this would normally be followed by an offering, and that's not what this sermon is. God has given us so much. Not just the fact that he says all humanity, everybody in humanity, everything on the earth and heaven, everything is from him, but especially in this nation. People paid a price. George Washington paid that price. I just, I see it. But also, you know, the people like Finney, who paid a price for the Northeast. All these churches that we complain, complain there's too many churches, one on every corner. Not us, but that's what the world would say, right? So many churches. We don't need another church. So many churches. I mean, all those were planted and paid a price. Somebody paid a price for this. All the freedoms, everything we have. We have so much we have so much. We live in such luxury in this nation. God has given us so much, and it comes with a great responsibility. I want us to recognize today that this is not about your money. This is about everything you are. Just say, this is about everything I am. Everything you are. Just Whatever your, uh, we, we don't have a ton of time, so let me just pause here, and I want to come back to the, and just sum up these couple of verses here. But just, just quickly, just listen, and I'll just read some. I'm going to try to not preach from them. I'm just going to quote them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and has given to you and was given to you by God, you do not belong to yourself. The New King James says, you are not your own. 
It's not just David. It's not just Old Testament. not just a story about him donating gold. This carries through the entire word, right through Revelation. 1 Corinthians, post the cross, post the giving of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. It says in verse 20, For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. This is in reference to the you know, to, to living in sin versus living for God and realizing that when you do that, it's just a mockery on what God has done for us when we live in sin through our body. Romans chapter 14, verse 7 says, we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. Isn't that amazing? Who would say that? I'm going to die with honor. I'll die for my name. I'll die for my country. But we just, we die for the Lord. We live and we die for it. It says, if we live, verse 8, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? You don't hear that or see that in very many plaques at Hobby Lobby, do we? <laughs> Got that on my wall sitting in my living room just you know, to remind me of the love of God. Whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, What gives you the right to make such judgments? This is talking about, you know, having gifts and abilities that are better than others. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as if it, as if, as though it were? Wow, the Lord wants me to read it a second time. This is for somebody out there listening to the podcast. He's like, slow down. I need them to hear this. What gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Your abilities, your strengths, your smarts, your intellect, everything you did to make your life successful in this earth was a gift from God. Some people just use it for themselves until they die because God doesn't make us do anything. God's implied it, that your, your eternity, he's, he has preached it. It's, been, it's on the internet, it's on TV, it's on the radio, there's churches on every corner. If you don't want to live for me, that's your choice, but hell is waiting for you, and I'm not sending you there, you're doing that on your own, you're choosing it. In contrast, as Christians, we can't come into Christianity and then bring worldliness in, bring Babylon in, bring that, that self, bring that flesh thing in, and now, and this happens, and we need to repent for it. That's part of our repentance right now. We're repenting these 40 days for churches and pastors and Christians that have now decided to elevate themselves above others and think that they're smarter and better and that who they are and that they deserve more and, 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 and that, you know, that everything they have is because they've worked hard for God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You don't have anything because you've worked hard for God. You don't deserve anything. Whenever that even crossed my mind that the Lord's rewarded me because I've been faithful to him, I just throw that right out immediately. Does he give us things because, because, uh, because of his love and his grace and our, and our faithfulness is tied to it? Yes, but it's not because you were faithful. Yes, our faithfulness like unlocks it, but don't be deceived that it wasn't from his grace and mercy always. Everything you have and every gift you have is that. That's where it comes from. Your faithfulness just unlocks it, but that's not because of your faithfulness, like you earned it. 
Amen? I know it's a fine line, but everything in the Bible is fine lines. Isn't that true? Matthew chapter 8. Actually, we'll move on from there, but they... No, I'm going to read it. They said to Jesus, hey, I want to follow you, verse 19, and Jesus says, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. I want to follow Jesus. I, you know, this is amazing, Jesus. Look at your ministry. Look what you're doing. Okay, well, I just want you to recognize something, what it means to follow me. You want to follow me, this is what it means. I don't even have a place to lay my head. I lay my head wherever it happens to lay that day because I'm at somewhere else all the time because I'm listening to the Spirit of God. I don't have anything in this earth, and nothing in this earth has me. Isn't God so faithful and good to us, guys? God has given us so much, and I'm so incredibly thankful. I mean, I just thank him constantly. That's majority of my prayer is thanking God for what he's done and thanking him for the things we don't even realize. But just health, right? Health, the season we're in, the, the peace that we still have, even with all this chaos, the peace we still have in this nation. Don't, re don't we realize that this is still good? It's bad, but it's good. I mean, I don't think you want to be in like Qatar right now. Anybody want to be there? I don't know why I picked that one. I'm just picturing a place I don't want to be in because it's a harsh environment. For me as a Christian. Just reading some verses here. Romans 1.1. 1, 1. Paul knew who he was. Out of the New King James, Paul said, Paul, comma, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Jeannie's going to love that. This is like Jeannie's message in her life is bondservants for Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 says in New King James, bondservants... Be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We realize what that is? means that even your normal life, just normal stuff, stuff you got to do every day, you have to realize something. Yes, there's going to be a, maybe a man or a woman who pays your physical paycheck, but you're working for God. Everything you do, God is watching. Every kind word and unkind word. Every time you, I was just joking with Dawn telling, I said every employee, they always, you know, they always skip corners. And one of the things we do is clean gutters. And everybody says, all the employees say, yep, I cleaned all the gutters. And as the boss, you try not to micromanage because you'll never get anything done. But the employees always lie. They never cleaned the gutters. They just didn't feel like climbing up there. Yep, they're all cleaned. Right, Rick? <laughs> Rick fired a guy because of that one time. But it's because we work for the Lord. We don't work for a human boss. We work for the Lord. You realize, whether I live or die, I live for Christ. Whatever I do, wherever I am, everything I'm doing, it's for Christ because I've given my life to him. He didn't just come and give me a, a salvation stamp. Stamp my ticket, get to the pearly gates of heaven. Who are you? Got the stamp. Oh, that's funny because I don't see anything in your life. I don't see any results of Christ in your life. Got the stamp. Open the gates. I was saved. Look at the stamp. 
Come on, guys, that's ridiculous. You realize how ridiculous that is to think that salvation was one little prayer you prayed in the church one time? That prayer was you sacrificing your life. Now, I'm not saying the prayer was invalid, but this is what happened. That prayer was, God, have my life. Now, if you didn't mean that promise, then guess what? They're going to look at that stamp, and it's going to have some weird small writing below it that says, that's funny, I see the stamp, but you didn't do what you said you would do. My salvation was free, that's for sure. But right here in the fine print that says, Lord, I give you my life. You didn't do that. So why do you think you're going to get something? I was willing. I laid down my life. I let them abuse me. I shed my blood for you, and you thought it was a stamp on your ticket into heaven? You joined with me in my death and in my suffering, and thank you for doing that because my word promises you that now you're going to get to share in my glory for all eternity. That's the word of God. That's the word of God. The word of God says, if you will share in my suffering, you will share in my glory. Amen. We are not our own. Say it again. I'm not my own. First Chronicles 29, just want to finish those verses. They need to be read, and I'll close here. He says, who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Verse 15 says, we are here only for a moment, visitors. Isn't this a sweet, sweet verse? Let's just... Just dwell here as we close. We're here only for a moment. We're visitors. We're strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Generations come, generations go. You know, and if you try to hold on to that life, you're going to be like, man, what I do with my life? What a waste. It comes so quickly. It's gone so quickly. You know, uh, husbands died, wives died, children's, you know, then, then they're gone and the children's now inherit the property and they got to deal with the inheritance and break all it up and then try to make the best. And then it's like this useless, worthless existence, isn't it? But we don't hold on to that like this world does. Every time that we take a breath, it's for the Lord. And when we lay down those breaths, it was for the Lord. And our generation, if we have done what God has called us to do, that's going to live after us, we pray that they're going to do the very same thing. And suddenly there's value to your life and to the lives that are left behind after you. Amen. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow gone so soon without a trace. I have no idea, and I'm not even going to try to make a prediction. Don't ask me what I think's coming, because I don't know. But I know this. 911, The Lord is ringing the alarm bells. Do not just sit by and watch the devil just destroy this nation. It's a time to pray. It's a time to fast, time to gather with your family, shut some things off, turn some world off, get the world out of you. It is not time to be dabbling in the world. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have 
committed our lives to you. I thank you, Lord. This is a church, Lord, that did get saved because we realized what that meant. It meant follow you. You said, follow me. And we said, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Lord, and we keep saying, yes, Lord. I thank you, Lord. You're going to keep asking of us what is beyond our ability. It's beyond our capability. It's beyond us. And Lord, we just say, yes, Lord, I'll give everything I've got till there's nothing left to follow you. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, again for this church. And I thank you, Lord God, that your grace and your mercy are here in this room today. We just settle everything with you, Lord, in us. And we pray, God, in the name of Jesus, for our fellow brothers and sisters, Lord. Maybe some are dabbling and maybe some are wandering, and maybe some are teeter-tottering on that fence. We thank you, God Almighty, from your grace and your mercy, to call them in to the true fold of Christ in this hour before it's too late. In Jesus' name, amen.